Um, and if you have a Bible, um, or if you want to grab one of the church Bibles there, just the little black Bibles, please open it to the book of 1 Corinthians. Um, we're beginning a, kind of a four-week series uh, looking at who Jesus is uh, in the run-up to Christmas, a, a bit of an Advent series, looking at how Jesus is our, is our wisdom, is our hope, uh, and, and is our, our help. Uh, starting this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And if you need to look up the contents table, that's more than, more than okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, I'll just read those verses and then we'll come to see what they would mean for our everyday lives. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 26. Hear the word of the living God. For consider your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, that is God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let me just pray as we come to consider these things. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that you speak to us, that you have not hidden yourself, but have revealed yourself ultimately in Jesus and also through the Bible. Help us to listen to you humbly, to receive what you would say to us and to help us obey it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Man, well, um, it's hard to kind of miss uh, 3rd of December, that Christmas is just around the corner. I can see that from some of the jumpers that are being worn in the room. And uh, I don't know if you uh, still experience this or get this, but growing up, uh, my family used to receive a Christmas newsletter um, from another family, uh, part of the family that were lived further away. Uh, for you young folk in the room, that's something that people used to do. You kind of send letters to one another. And around Christmas, sometimes people would kind of gather up all the things that had gone on in their family that year to send uh, to other family members. Maybe nowadays we would just put stuff on Facebook or Instagram or whatever it might be. Uh, that can be done well. It can be done well in, in a good way. But this family liked to use it as an opportunity, really, if we're being honest, to boast about the grades their kids were getting at school, the positions of leadership they'd got, the fancy holidays they'd been on, the musical performances they'd been involved in, or speaking opportunities. Uh, here's the thing, most of us balk at that, right? If we've ever received one of those, uh, maybe you've done it, but you've done it well, okay? I don't want to get myself in trouble. Maybe if you've received one of those, or maybe you've seen those kind of things on social media, and there's something about that that maybe we balk at when it's done boastfully, but if we're really honest about our lives, there's something in all of us that wants to boast, that wants to bring something to the table to be to be proud of. There's, there's a difference between honoring and encouraging and recognizing people's achievements, but boasting is a whole different thing. It's saying, I did this. I'm good enough for this. I bring something to the table. 
whether it's our exam results, our intellect, job promotions, business success, our sporting abilities, skills we might have. And then there's the more subtle form of boasting, isn't there? The people who boast in the fact that they don't boast, right? Who boast in their humility. It's always been that way. Humans have been like that from the day they were created. And it was like that in the the city of Corinth, which was in Greece, which is still in Greece. The city of Corinth was full of people who were boasting. That's the problem we encounter here in 1 Corinthians. Christians, of all people, were the ones who were boasting. They were boasting about who was the wisest, who was the smartest. They were coming, becoming prideful about their worldly wisdom or the wisdom of those they were attaching themselves to and following. I follow this person. Aren't they amazing? That makes me look good. The apostle Paul here this morning brings us crashing right back down to earth. He reminds us that true wisdom is found not in ourselves or in people around us, but ultimately in Jesus. True wisdom is found only when we recognize our weakness. True wisdom is only found when we recognize our weakness and it leaves us nothing to boast about but Him. So whether you're a Christian here this morning or you're not, these verses are here to show us that God comes primarily for those who recognize their weakness. He comes primarily for the nobodies of the world, not the somebodies, and he makes them wise in Jesus. Here he shows us that true wisdom is not ultimately about being skillful or smart. True wisdom is about being saved. It's about knowing God in Christ. The invitation then this morning as you and I spend time in this passage is this, to come and see how true wisdom is found in Jesus who meets us in our weakness. True wisdom is found in Jesus who meets us in our weakness. First thing we see from these verses is this, that God calls weak people to Christ. If you look back down at verses 26 to 29, consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were from a a well-known family. God chose what was foolish and weak. The Christians in Corinth were starting to think that they were all that, that they were somebody. They were arguing over who was the better leader, who was the better speaker, and seeking to attach themselves to certain people. They were name-dropping. Hey, I follow this person. They were doing that in order to get one over on each other. It's kind of like um, if you've ever seen that show on TV, Who Do You Think You Are?, where they get celebrities to find out their heritage and their kind of family line. And there's always that when, you know, they find out they're related to someone famous or someone royal. There's that kind of sense of, oh, prestige and and pride, and I'm attached to someone like that. That's what's happening here in Corinth. But it wasn't doing them any good because it was leading to infighting and division. In comes Paul, he breaks up the fight, and he says, you guys think you are something? You think you're smart, you think you're wise, you think you're something because of who you follow? He says in verse 26, consider who you were. Consider who you were when God called you and when he saved you. Not many of you were wise. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you came from a fancy family. If you guys were to go on who do you think you are, you would be one of the celebrities who finds out that their great-great-great-grandfather is some kind of serial killer or something like that, someone to be ashamed of. That's who you guys were. Remember who you really are. Remember where you've come from. 
recognize that God came for people who the world considers to be nobodies. Verse 27 to 28 tells us that God chose what is foolish, weak, what is low and despised. God chooses all kinds of people. He does choose those sometimes who are considered in the world's eyes to be wise, to be smart, and to be powerful. But God often chooses the people the world least expects. It's like when you were in school maybe and you were playing sports and people were given the opportunity to pick the team. The the best players, the most skillful people are always picked first. That's not how it works in God's people. That's not how it works in God's kingdom. He picks the ones that will be least expected first. God's team, God's people aren't primarily made up of those the world considers first, greatest, most influential, most important, most intellectual. He surrounds himself with the least, the last, and the lost. That's who Jesus surrounded himself with when he was on earth. If you spend time in the Gospels, he spent time, and he spent time mostly with people who were considered the least, the last, and the lost. Uh, Yesterday, we got to sing some carols in Kincaid Community Center. The carol once in Royal David City says this about Jesus. He came down to earth from heaven, who is God and Lord of all. His shelter was a stable. His cradle was a stall. With the poor and mean and lowly lived on earth our Savior holy. That's who he moved towards. Why does God do this? Why does he choose to move towards those and call those and choose those the world least expects. He does that for a few reasons. To highlight that knowing God, being saved, is not something you earn. It's not something you do by your smartness or you get by your status or you achieve through your abilities. He chooses those people to show that it's all of Him and to leave us with nothing to boast about but Christ. God chooses weak, foolish people like me to rip the rug of pride out from under the world, and in the words of one author, leave the smartest people in the world scratching their heads. Him? Really? Him? Her? That's what Jesus did. Jesus moved towards and sat with those of low social status or those who were despised despised to say to the prideful and smart people, and in the Gospels it was often the pride, hypocritical, religious people, that God's kingdom is not for those who have something to bring to it. It's not for those who can contribute. It's not for those who think they've earned a place or deserve it. It's those who come saying, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. There's something about that that just totally jars with us. We don't have a category for that. Human nature, by default, human wisdom wants to bring something to the table. We want to be able to say, I deserve this. I've earned this. I did this. God's wisdom is different. God's ways are different. God calls and chooses those considered weak to shame those who think they're wise. So if you're not a Christian here this morning... You think following Jesus is foolish, perhaps, and that people who do so are idiots. 1 Corinthians 1 says your definition of wisdom is all wrong. 
You think wisdom is power and strength and status. The creator of the universe says that wisdom is knowing him through Jesus. You think that if most of the philosophers and scholars and academics and influencers and sports stars and smart people in the world think that Jesus and his message are stupid and are a bunch of nonsense, then they must be right. But 1 Corinthians 1 says God's made it that way. He's made it that the way to him is not for the wise of the world who think they've got it all together. It's not through smart scientific means or arguments. It's for the weak of the world who embrace by faith the baby in the manger, the man on the cross, so that all glory goes to Jesus and not to us. You might think that our society is better off without the foolishness of the gospel and of Jesus. While every day you stand upon and assume the virtues and the morals that it gives to our society, things which you treasure, compassion, equality, freedom, kindness, science, virtues that upended the power and the might of the Roman Empire. How? Through a man on the cross. Or perhaps you're not a Christian here this morning and you think you're not good enough. You're not good enough to be a Christian. First Corinthians 1 blows that out of the water. These verses tell you that everyone, particularly those the world would look down on and think aren't good enough, smart enough, are exactly the kind of people God comes to save. If you are a Christian this morning already, let me encourage you to not forget who you were when God called you to not forget where you came from, to not get ahead of yourself, to remember that true wisdom is knowing God through Christ. Don't submit to the world's definition. Don't get caught up in what the world defines as being wise. Don't think that your academic achievements, your family background, your job credentials, your leadership position in the church or in the world makes you wiser or better than anyone else. Don't become consumed with pursuing what the world considers to be wisdom at the expense of pursuing Jesus. And don't let pride poison your view of others in the world or in the, the view you have of the person sitting next to you in the church, causing you to look down on others and creating the kind of division we see in 1 Corinthians 1. Be like Neil Armstrong, the astronaut, uh, first man to step foot on the moon. Um, in a speech he gave um, after he did that, um, so such a smart man, first man to set foot in, on the moon. And, and this is what he says of himself. He says, I am and ever will be a white socks, pocket protector, nerdy engineer. He remembered who he was. More so be like the apostle Paul. He showed his humility in 1 Timothy 1. He says, I thank him that is God who has given me strength Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. There's a man who knows where he came from. And as a church, here are the kind of people that God saves. God calls us as a church to move towards and value all kinds of people. When we gather as a church on Sundays or in small groups or at youth or 
Who do you talk to? Who do you sit beside? Who do you gravitate towards over tea and coffee? In our evangelism and in our discipleship, don't be surprised. Don't underestimate. Don't discriminate or show partiality because of someone's background. Because God calls weak people to Christ. And by his grace, he makes them wise in Christ. That's the second thing we see. God calls weak people to Christ and then makes them wise in Christ. If you look down at verse 30, and because of him that is God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So God calls and chooses weak people, those considered weak in the world. Let let me just say that God values every human being. Every human being is created in the image of God and is deeply valuable and has inherent dignity and worth. But it's those who the world thinks are weak, the world thinks are foolish that he comes for. He calls and he chooses them and he does what with them? He joins them to Jesus. He connects us to Christ in a way that a branch is attached to a vine, in the way that a body part is attached to a body. He unites us to Christ. How? Verse 30 tells us that it's all of Him, because of Him. Not because of me or us, because of Him, by grace. The word grace means we are given what we don't deserve. He unites us to Jesus when we respond in repentance and faith, when we say, sorry for our sin and trust in Jesus. Faith is receiving, resting upon Jesus alone for our salvation and eternal life. We don't do anything. Even faith itself is a receiving, a resting. It's all about the one in whom we put our faith in. Have you done that? Have you received and rested in Christ's finished work for you? Robert has. That's why he's getting baptized today. Baptism pictures that joining together. Romans 6 tells us about that. It says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And here's the really amazing thing about baptism. Baptism isn't just about something that's happened now or happened in the past. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We will have eternal life. We will get a resurrection body in the new heavens and the new earth. It points forward as well as back. Baptism, as uh, someone once illustrated it, is like a wedding. Union with Christ, which baptism pictures, is like a wedding where a poor slave girl marries a prince. He takes on her debts. She gets his status. What do we gain when we are joined to Jesus? Well, verse 30 tells us we get real wisdom. We get true wisdom. Wisdom isn't about being smart or being skillful. Wisdom is about being saved. Until you see that, you won't see your need for Jesus. Wisdom is unpacked as three things in verse 30. Righteousness, 
sanctification and redemption. These are wise things. These are true wisdom. What is righteousness? It means we are justified. We are made right with God. It means we're no longer condemned. By nature, we are condemned. We remain under the wrath of God because of our sin, because we say no to God. But Jesus gives us His righteousness as a gift so that when God looks at us, He sees us as sons and daughters. We are justified forever. We're no longer condemned. We are sanctified. We are declared clean and holy. We are no longer dirty and defiled. And we are redeemed. That is, that we are freed. We're no longer enslaved to sin. We're justified, we're cleaned, we're freed. And maybe you think to yourself, I feel pretty free right now. I'm kind of living life how I'd like to live it. It feels pretty good. You might think you're free without Jesus, but you're not really. You are enslaved to sin. If you think you're free, then ask yourself, why do you keep doing the things you wish you didn't? Or why do those around you keep doing the things you wish they didn't? And if you think you don't do anything wrong, can I graciously say to you, you're looking in the wrong mirror. You're looking in the mirror of your own standards, your own choosing. You're looking in the mirror of the world and its standards. Look in a real mirror. Look in the mirror of the one who made you, who set the standard. Look in the mirror of his word and of his perfect law. Christmas is all about Jesus coming to save us and free us from our sin. That's the good news about Christmas. That's the good news of the gospel. We are enslaved in our sin, but someone came to release us from that enslavement. We're going to sing it in just a moment. Come now long expected Jesus, born to set his people free from our fears and sins. Release us. Let us find our rest in thee. That's what he came to do. He came to free us from our sin and our sorrow. He became to us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. Those things came from God. We needed those things to come from outside of ourselves. We couldn't do those things for ourselves. We needed them to come from outside of ourselves. We needed God to intervene. And that's what Christmas is all about. Christmas is God stepping into the world in the form of Jesus to free us from our sin. It's about God sending His eternal Son into the world to save our world from sin and sorrow. So Christmas, as we approach it, reminds us that our greatest need is not to become more developed, to get smarter, to become more skillful, to make new scientific discoveries, even those are, though those are good things and they serve the common good in this age. But in a world where we and our world is infected with sin, our greatest need is not someone smart to fix it, but a Savior. That Savior had to be God Himself. It had to be God that did that. It had to be God who stepped in. Why? Because God demands justice for sin. Man sinned. Man must pay for that sin. But because of our sin, we can't pay for it. We need someone to pay it for us. Someone perfect. That's why it had to be someone who was fully God and fully man. Jesus came as fully God and fully man, the only one who could live the perfect life, pay the penalty for our sin, and be raised to new life. Began in a cradle, it culminated on the cross, and one day it will be completed when Jesus returns to judge the world and usher in the new creation.
So if you're not a Christian, God's wisdom in Christ, His righteousness, His sanctification, redemption, they are currently not yours, but they can be. Through repentance for sin and faith in Christ, you can stand before God eternally, no longer condemned, no longer defiled, no longer enslaved. You can be free, totally, one day fully. If you are a Christian here this morning, the reminder for you, the good news is for you, is that this wisdom is already yours. You don't need to top it up. You don't need to keep looking for it. It's already yours. You're joined to Jesus. These things are true of you eternally. If you're in Christ, He is already and always will be your righteousness, your sanctification, your redemption. Rejoice in that. Rest in it. Be humbled by that. Recognize that the only thing you have to boast about this Christmas or at any point in your life is Jesus himself. It's the last thing we see. God calls weak people to Christ and makes them wise in Christ so that they would boast only about Christ. If you look down at verse 31, so that, what's all this leading towards? So that it is as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Paul quotes there from Jeremiah chapter 9, which is a book in the Old Testament. Jeremiah 9 says this, and really um, hits, uh, repeats some of the themes we've been seeing. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. In and of ourselves, we have nothing to boast about. Our life and breath are because of our God, our Creator, our Sustainer. Our salvation and its benefits are a gift from God. So we have nothing to boast about before God or one another. All we have to boast about is Christ. And we were made to do that. We were made to worship Him and make much of Him. Our hearts will never be at rest until we worship God in Christ. It's hard to become prideful and divisive when we really get this. When we get what true wisdom is, when we get that it came from outside of ourselves and is not earned. So Christian, are you boasting about Jesus? You should be. We are nothing and nowhere without him. As a church, are we boasting about Jesus? This must be a place where people come amongst us and recognize it's not about us. If you're not a Christian here this morning, the invitation is to give your life to making much of Jesus. It's what you were made for. It's what will bring you greatest joy and peace. It doesn't degrade you. It doesn't make you foolish. Because those who humble themselves and recognize their weakness before God will be eternally exalted with him. Struck me as I prepared uh, this this week that in the Christmas story, which I'm sure most of you are familiar with, the wise men that sought Jesus, so the wisest men of their day, the smartest, the most skillful, what do the wisest men of Jesus' day do? They sought out Jesus that first Christmas. It must have seemed so foolish to those who knew they were doing it, right? Following a star to find a baby. But they were truly wise. 
They recognized their weakness, even though they had so much. They sought him out. They found a king. They found a savior. And what was their response? What was their wise response? They fell down on their knees and worshiped him because they recognized who he was. He knows our need. To our weakness, he is no stranger. Behold your king before him, lowly bend. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus into the world to be wisdom for us, to do what we couldn't do for ourselves. Help us, Father, to recognize our need for you, to, to respond to Jesus in sorrow for sin and trust in him, and to recognize that when we do that, we are given everything that we would ever need for life eternally. Help us to bend our knees to him and to worship him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.